You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So good to have you with us today. If we've never met, my name is Ryan and I am joined by my colleague and friend, Reese. Hello people, my name is Reese Michelle and uh, yeah, I work at Riverview and I love podcasts. They're one of my favorite things. So I'm I'm stoked to be here. It's good. Uh, Now, Every single week on our podcast so far, we've kind of started off with a, a brief little check-in, mm. uh, which has been nice, but we thought today we would just skip the generic check-in and go a little bit deeper. Um, today oh. we're talking about <laughs> anxiety. Um, Reese, over the last month or so um, in uncertain, challenging times, how have you gone managing um, your mental health, your emotional health, spiritual health, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I've certainly had my moments, uh, many up moments and many <laughs> down moments and have felt a sense of rising anxiety at times. I think the, the major device that I have to manage that really is exercise. Hmm. I'm a, a bit of a noob cyclist. I'm an <laughs> aspiring cyclist and lucky that I still get to come into work every day and so I cycle in and I cycle back and that's been a major help for me to kind of clear my head and process some stuff and just dial back on some of the anxiety. Um, but it's definitely there. Um, and with the kids at home and I mean I've talked about it before on the podcast that certainly home life is different mm. and I, when tempers are fraying and the kids have been inside for too long I definitely feel the anxiety rising mm. but I'm also trying to process some of the stuff that Tanya Watson spoke about in a previous podcast episode and, and um, humanly speaking like she said I cannot reconcile the things that I'm grappling with it's not how I pictured it but mm. um, there is divine peace available through Jesus. So just trying to chew on some of that stuff as well because I have a tendency to um, dispense with that and just try and control it myself and Mm. make everything good. Mm. How about you, man? Yeah, look, I I don't really know. I know that sounds really (laughs) strange. Like when we talk about things like mental health and managing it, I don't know if I'm really doing anything and I'm not really sure if that's helpful. Like I'm not... I'm not crippled by fear Mm. or anxiety at this stage, but I'm just trying to do my best to embrace how I'm genuinely going. I've actually found it quite helpful more recently um, just been getting supervision and Mm. uh, essentially that's just a space for you to talk to someone. And when I first organized to do that, it's not necessarily, um, you know, a a mental health avenue, but I I was kind of nervous because I'm like, well, what do I talk about? Like, what do I have to say? I don't know. What, you know am I meant to have something coming into the conversation? I'm sure you've got plenty to say. Well, I, I always do, Reese, And um, I, I've just found that's been really helpful. Almost just having a bit of a brick wall to bounce your thoughts off and mm. not a literal brick wall. <laughs> um, yeah, just being able to talk to someone about where I'm at, what I'm feeling, um, yeah, has been surprisingly helpful. Um, so I think if you were to ask me how my mental health is going, I don't really know. Mm. Um it's going okay, I guess. Uh, but I'm actually really excited for um, our interview today and we're going to be spending a little bit of time with Rhea Panditha. And Rhea's spent a number of years on staff here at Review Church and she's a psychologist and a, a life coach and we're talking to her about anxiety. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that come to mind when we talk about things like anxiety. You know, is it wrong? How do I manage my anxiety? Can you just pray it away? Um, if only. If only, you know, do, do I just not have enough faith? Is that why I'm mm. experiencing anxiety? And 
And a big question for me is where is Jesus in the midst of mm. my worry and my anxiety? And so we're really excited to be spending some time with Ria today. So enjoy this. Well, today we have a friend of ours, Ria Panditha, joining us. Welcome. Hey. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We know, we know that uh, your Instagram handle says that you're a therapist and a life coach. Tell us a bit about that. I am. Well, first, let me actually let you in on a little secret that my name is not actually Ria. So what? it is, in fact, Rianka. Um, that doesn't give it away that I'm Indian. I don't know what does. Maybe it's my like <laughs> Indian accent or like my deep love for curry or something. But, <laughs> but uh, I consider myself uh, a third culture kid spending different phases of my life in different continents. Um, and as you said, Reese, I am a therapist and a coach and I love talking mental health and the idea of restoration for all. Um, I've recently started my own private practice at thelifeconsultant.co. Um, so you can check that out. Um, what else? I also answer to a few other names, such as Boo by my oh, oh, wow. of eight years, um, or Riri or Babe from close friends or family, um, except when my mother is actually really angry, and then she calls me by my full name, Rianca Leah. So, yeah. Oh, that's there you me. go. Well, I just, when, we, when we've got a bone to pick, I know which, which name to, uh, to pull out. <laughs> Rianca Leah. Yes. <laughs> So, Rianca or Ria, Riri, uh-huh. um, we're in crazy times and if I could pick one uh, thing that I've been feeling lately, there's, it's been anxiety. So, can you tell me wh- why, why do I experience anxiety? Well, um, you experience anxiety because you're human. So, we as humans living in earthly experience, um, life happens, right? So, I think in order to answer that question, taking a step back um, and kind of defining what anxiety is. So, in simple terms, it's a feeling of fear or dread or uneasiness. And I think it's actually a symptom of real imbalance in our bodies and our minds or the mix of the two. And it's our body's way of telling us, it's it's your body's way of telling you hey, something is not familiar here. Pay attention. So as human beings who live vastly different lives, um, especially in the current rate of change that is happening in the world right now, um, it is only inevitable that we face the unfamiliar. Right? So that's kind of why we experience anxiety is that we are often facing the unfamiliar and our body is telling us, pay attention. Hmm. I suppose there's, there's, we've talked about this earlier and it, there's enough in life to make us feel anxious without a global pandemic <laughs> yeah. or mm-hmm. without our uh, work environments being turned upside down or Absolutely. without us being isolated from, I mean, I think of my children, they feel a, cert, they feel a certain amount of change not being able to see their grandparents Mm-hmm. You know, and as definitely manifesting in some physical, uh, <laughs> some physical <laughs> symptoms. But um, but yeah, it's interesting because um, I I previously in my mind, in maybe decades gone by, have thought that anxiety is a mental thing that mm-hmm. I would feel in my brain. But the older I've got, I've definitely noticed I have a visceral, mm-hmm. physical um, feeling 
that's not cerebral. It's mm. it's it's in my body. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of kind of psychological I, things like anxiety or stress or um, you know were thought of way back when as a mental thing, right? But we've done a lot of a lot of research has been done to kind of uh, point to the fact that we are whole be- beings. So there is an interconnectedness between our brain and our bodies. And I think you're right. Like kids um, show that to us in the simplest form. Um, I mean, even just think about the fact that like you have all these roles. So like you have Reese the dad, Reese the friend, Reese the brother, Reese the son. Um, And previously post COVID, you had different spaces to kind of enact. You were always all those things, but you had different spaces to enact those particular roles. Now you are in the same place for the last four weeks, probably on the same couch, trying to be all of that stuff. So you are in emotional overload consistently. So COVID absolutely is putting on like another level of anxiety to our regular, um, to the regular anxiety that most people feel on a daily basis. Mm. Rhea, obviously we all face change and hence we all experience some levels of anxiety can you maybe tell me a little bit why why maybe some people experience heightened levels of anxiety and maybe others don't experience it in the same way no I think I would probably disagree with the fact that others don't experience it they just experience it to a lesser degree um, so even if, I mean, we, we all experience anxiety when we are about to go for a job interview mm, yeah, yeah, right? or when you get that dreaded email and you don't know what your boss is going to talk to you about. And it's for two days from now. Um, so even if you're someone who manages your anxiety quite well, and you're kind of on top of, mm. um, checking in with yourself and, and doing some exercises that kind of manage your anxiety, well, you still will you're still susceptible to anxiety because as I was saying before, it is inevitable that you're going to face something unfamiliar. Right. So yeah, I mean, I think, and people who, if you are experiencing um, the, the kind of anxiety, I guess I'm talking about is the daily anxiousness that we feel that we experience, but there are definitely more serious conditions, right. Um, that require a different level of attention that probably require more consistent, you know, hey, go see a therapist or a doctor or, um, and that comes from perhaps childhood trauma or other things that you might've gone through. So, um, but the daily anxious kind of sweeps of anxiety that you feel over your body. And as Reese was saying, not just your mind, but your body, you sometimes feel it in your tummy or your shoulders and you tighten. Um, that's an everyday normal thing that I would, I would say everyone experience experiences to some extent. It's, it's almost an, it's an interesting notion that what you're saying, it's an everyday thing that is common to the human experience. But when we feel those symptoms, it's letting us know that something is wrong, right? So on the one hand, it's telling you something's wrong, but on the other hand, it's okay. How, how do we make sense of that? Is, is anxiety wrong? Is it, is it show that you're deficient in something if you're feeling like a, a heightened level of anxiety, if you can't cope? Is, no. What, you know, what, how do you make sense of that? No, I do. I do not believe that it is wrong. Um, or more specifically, that nothing is wrong or bad about you if you have feelings of anxiousness hmm. sweep over you. 
Um, so it almost comes up like a, I don't know, in, in America, it's like groundhog, right? So the groundhog comes up to tells you, to tell you that, um, the climate is changing. So I feel like your anxiety comes up to tell you that your climate is changing. And what we do as humans is we either ruminate over it. So we go in like these loops of stress or we ignore it. And I think if you try and social distance yourself from your anxiety, what actually happens is, <laughs> is that it doubles up on its effort to get your attention. Um, so greeting it like a wise friend. And I think that's where you kind of hold the tension mm. of everyone experiencing it. Um, and it being kind of, Hey, pay attention. Something's wrong. Um, but it being okay is kind of that, Hey, what are you trying to teach me right now? How do you read it like a wise friend that is telling you about you? Because your your anxiety is not so much telling you about your, yes, it is telling you about your outside circumstances, but it is also informing yourself about you, hmm. right? And so how do you greet it like a wise friend that does that? Or how do you um, accept it as someone who's coming on your doorstep to protect you? Um, it's not necessarily something that needs to be fixed, but it is something that needs to be um, addressed. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk about different ways that you can address it, but um, yeah, it's becoming, it's becoming a household name right now, yeah, especially yeah. in the light of COVID. I remember the first time I heard someone talk about anxiety and I, I, I mean, I understood kind of a general level of anxiousness, but I was working in a chain of retail stores at the time. And one of the people who was working came in early and said, I'm just feeling really anxious right now with my exams and I can't work today. And my response was, what do you mean? You're an employee here. You've shown up. You've made the effort to come here. So you're going to work, you know? And that's obviously like, I had very little understanding of it. And I could be really um, aware of my own, um, uh, anxiety that I would experience, but obviously that's not a helpful approach mm. to someone who's experiencing anxiety. You know, I would like to think that if I was experiencing anxiety and I went to someone about it, that they would, um, they would be like a wise friend yes. rather than a grumpy supervisor who does not, who just wants them to snap out of it, you know? Yeah. Mm. And I think it's, I love the way you put that there, Ria, like, like anxiety is a, a wise old friend and what are they saying? And it does lead me to ask the question then, how do I, how do I relate to that friend? You know, how do I uh, manage anxiety? What are the things that I can do that maybe actually allow me to deal with that in a healthy way? And maybe what are the things that I should avoid doing that maybe trigger me more or get me more into those loops that you, you talked about? Um, the first thing that I actually want to remind you, right, and like anyone who's listening really, is to not be discouraged when you feel like you are wading deep in the currents of your emotions. Hmm. Um, the way that we react to the unfamiliar and the meaning that we assign to our, to our reactions are almost like reflexes. And they run deep. They run deep in our history. They run deep in our childhood and in our brains and um, change to both the reactions and the meanings that we assign to it only come with intentional practice and patience and kindness towards ourselves. So that's kind of like the first thing that I want to remind you of. But so in saying that, let me, let me kind of give you my, probably my top two tips on what's been helping me in this season and what I have felt um, dealing with people who are, who do experience anxiety on probably a different level, even than the regular 
kind that we experience is um, one, it's an exercise called name it to tame it. Um, it is a phrase coined by a incredible psychiatrist and a mindfulness expert named Daniel Siegel. And he, um, it's a great practice on both kids and adults. Um, and it's a simple phrase that he created to explain that when you are experiencing negative emotions, um, by simply acknowledging the actual emotion you are experiencing while you're experiencing it, you actually get some distance from it. So you name the emotion detainment, right? And um, one of the research studies that kind of supports this practice conducted by like another incredible guy, Matthew Lieberman, UCLA, shows that the labeling of emotion actually appears to decrease the activity in our brain's limbic system, including the amygdala. And that's the amygdala is kind of the part of the brain that is responsible for our emotions and our fight or flight and our survival instincts and memory. Um, so it's very well backed up. Um, so, you know, the, the term is, is, is easy and name it to tame it, but um, you can practice it by thinking it, by writing it and by speaking it. And it is a beautiful mindfulness practice that kind of allows you to check in with yourself um, and be in the present and witness your emotion from the outside. Mm. So it's almost learning to, to be really honest with yourself and where you're at, as opposed to, like you said, just burying your head in the sand, actually embracing what it is you're feeling. Hmm. And he he kind of explains, um, Daniel Siegel explains that by practicing the exercise, like on a biological level, he uses some funny words, but he says on a biological level, like your left brain um, actually allows, your left brain's like, you know, your, your, your logical side, it actually allows you to name the feeling from the emotional centers of your brain. And it's almost like, and this is literally the words that he uses, but he says, it's like squirting, soothing neurotransmitters hmm. into that limbic system of the brain. When you are just taking time away from what you're feeling to recognize that it is there. Hmm. Um, it's almost like honoring that feeling, right? And I think it is so important um, in times like this to cultivate relationship with ourselves because out of relationship with ourselves, I mean, the only way to get through all of this, um, I would say the season that we're in is by being kinder to one another and communicating better. And you can only start doing that if you are being kind to yourself and communicating with yourself. Mm. Right. So that idea of bearing witness to our own emotions is a great place to start in kind of cultivating that kindness um, towards ourselves. Mm. That'd be my first one. The second one that I would recommend um, to lower anxiety, probably along with the lines of making sure you're eating well, once again, in the same realm of being kind to yourself, um, especially in light of a pandemic, mm. uh, remember to instill moments of pleasure into your day. So what I mean by this is like, even with eating well, it might look like eating really nourishing foods mixed in with eating foods that may be all not that great for you on a calorie sense, but foods that you love, mm. foods that bring you pleasure, right? Um, That's good news, with, right? Incorporating <laughs> things that bring you joy because mm. moving your body is really important to for anxiety, um, just on a physiological sense, but but instilling it with things that bring you joy. So maybe it seems like, hey, in COVID, it, I'm, I'm going to swap out some big intensity sessions, some high intensity sessions for long walks on the beach. So it's still movement, but it's that idea of putting in pleasure. So 
Well, with kind of things like that, my my big thing um, would probably be starting or maintaining an intentional breathing practice mm-hmm. is really critical in moments like this. And the idea of your breath, I don't think, is something that is talked about enough um, or hmm. taken seriously um, because we just don't do it. We don't do it. And we think, yeah. and it takes practice and it takes patience and it takes consistency. So, yeah. Can you walk um, us through, Sanet Rhea? Can you walk us through like a breathing exercise? Sure. Yeah. Um, so there are mainly two kinds of breath that we um, adopt on a daily basis. Okay. One is a thoracic breath, which is a chest breath. And the other one is a diaphragmatic breath, which is a belly breath. I mean, Reese, you would know this being a musician, like that's the kind of breath that singers take. Mm, yeah. So it's really that um, that idea of allowing, like giving your lung enough space to get as much oxygen in it. It's mm. not that your breath is actually going into your belly, but we call it a belly breath <laughs> <laughs> because um, you are, your diaphragm's moving in a, in a certain way um, so that your lungs expand and so much oxygen goes into it and then it can disperse to where it needs to go. So the easiest way to know if you're taking a belly breath is putting one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly and breathing really deep. And so that your belly, the hand on your belly actually moves out. So most people, when they breathe, take quite shallow breaths and they use chest breathing. Um, But in order to kind of change up the nervous system that you're using, um, you've got to be taking really, really deep belly breaths. Um, Mm. And engaging in kind of like a practice of of a, of like a rhythmic practice, right? So a super simple one is, um, hey, I'm going to breathe in for five seconds and I'm going to breathe out for five seconds. Hmm. Um, another really, really simple one and very effective relaxation one is the four, seven, eight technique. It's kind of like the basis for all um, breath work. So hmm. that says that you're going to inhale for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds, and then exhale for eight. Now, when you first start practicing, I'm just going to give everyone the heads up that it might feel odd. <laughs> um, sometimes can get a bit tingly, um, but, but consistency in practice is key because not only does this help your nervous system on a physiological level, but um, but what a breathing practice, I mean, I can get a little bit personal here. For me, what it's done for me is it's actually allowed me to enter into the current moment. Hmm. And in a very gentle way, move my mind away from that which is troubling me in order to focus on my inhale and exhale. Um, And for those few moments, I cultivate a peace within me. Right. And I, my encouragement is actually to practice it when you're not feeling anxious. Mm. So it Mm. does become a reflex for you to breathe this way. And it becomes easier for your body to kind of go into that automatic belly breath pattern Mm. Um, when you are feeling stressed. Yeah, it's interesting, Ria. I've been doing some kind of guided and centering prayers recently and part of that is the breathing exercise. Mm. And it's weird how quickly it kind of allows you just to relax a little bit and center and almost just be still in a moment. It's crazy. I suppose also it's um it's to become well-practiced at it throughout your day your week, your whatever season you're in is better than just saving it all up for your gym session at the end of the day where you just like blow out all the cobwebs. Absolutely. <laughs> you clear your head yeah. but maybe you're not managing it yeah. very well yeah. because in the moment the next day when you have to go into that meeting or when you're having that tough conversation, Absolutely. everything kind of comes back up again, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is about those little moments during the day when you're feeling it. And the thing is, when you start doing this, you actually start learning so much about yourself. Mm. Are doing check-ins like, oh, do I feel anxious in the afternoons? Is it because I have eaten lunch or is it after food or is it before food? Um, mm. Do my hands get a little tingly when I usually get these feelings that I need to start doing um, deep belly breaths? You'll start learning and kind of cultivating that relationship within yourself, mm. um, which I think is the basis for, for kind of that idea of human connection <laughs> um, is actually to connect with yourself first. Um, mm. Yeah. And right. Like, it's interesting that you say, you know, you've been doing that and it, it, it blows your mind how much it's helped you, mm. but it's, it's genuinely, it's a physiological thing. Mm. So you're, you're working within two nervous systems mainly. I mean, it's, it's a much broader conversation, but, <laughs> um, bet- you know, under your kind of automated nervous system, you're working within two and, that is what we call your parasympathetic and your sympathetic, which is your parasympathetic is your fight or flight nervous system, which when we are in a pandemic, a lot of, a lot of us are chronically kind of in that nervous system because you're trying to like yeah. juggle all those roles, as I was saying before, in one place, right? So um, you're chronically there. And what that means is you're probably a little bit on edge and hmm. your heart is probably beating a little bit faster. You'd, you're eating patterns are changing and your sleeping patterns are a little bit different because you're not having to get up and go to work and your routines are a little bit different. So when we're kind of chronically always hovering around that parasympathetic nervous system, um, the easiest and best way to to switch out of that into your, I'm sorry, when you're hovering around your sympathetic nervous system and the easiest way to switch into your parasympathetic, which is your rest and your digest nervous system, Hmm. that the easiest way is your breath controlling your breath kind of instantly gets you into that space of rest and moves your blood flow away from like the parasympathetic. I mean, your, your sympathetic, which is fight or flight, which is, Hey, all your, all my blood is going towards my muscles and trying to run away into kind of like your digestive system and and the things that actually Mm -hmm. calm you down. And um, so that's what happens to, to you, to your body on a physical level when you breathe right. I remember I'm um, going to the physio recently, actually, and she was like, "Just breathe while I do this, <laughs> because your breathing tells you that you're okay." Yeah, you know, it might hurt now, but the breathing will allow your body to kind of, you know, absolutely not freak out. You know, and obviously that's not a particularly scientific way of putting it, <laughs> but um, but I found that quite helpful. And because I mean, if I think about breathing, like I've if, when I've the amount of times I've come out of a meeting or have been playing music or in a session or something like that. And I come out of it and I'm absolutely exhausted because I realize I haven't been breathing. You know, I might do like a, yeah, a yeah. four minute yeah. pass of a song in the studio and then I'm hammered after that four minutes because I <laughs> barely breathed the whole time, yeah, yeah. you know. And so it's, it's obvious to me now that we're talking about it that, you know, there's some work to be done. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose it's about being deliberate, right? It's about kind of paying attention to the things not also paying attention to what you're feeling, the emotions you're feeling, but also not just saying, oh, I'm feeling that and then being done with it, but actually going, yeah. oh, there are things that I can do. There are practices I can adopt that um, are worthwhile. Yeah. So actually being diligent with doing those. Mm, that's good. And Ria, I guess we've talked a little bit about what it looks like to almost put the oxygen mask on literally, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, dealing and managing my own anxiousness is one thing but then being 
a helpful support for those around me who are dealing with anxiety and not necessarily causing more problems or pulling more triggers. Um, yeah. You know, dealing with your own anxiety is one thing. Can you tell us a little bit about how to helpfully help others manage anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the first thing to remember is listen more than you talk. So if you have someone close to you or or even just around you that is um, a little bit anxious, just listen more than you talk. Um, it is so natural for us to try and comfort someone when they're emotional about something. And it, it's so well-intentioned and so well-meaning. But um, my encouragement would probably be be mindful of the words that you use. So it's, you know, we very commonly say, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But you don't actually know if it's going to be okay. Um, or we say, oh, don't worry, just calm down. Right. And what we try to say to them is like, actually probably just breathe. Right. So say that be like, Hey, do you want me to like, let's just breathe really deep together. I'm standing right here with you. Um, things like, you know, we say everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I mean, what is, what is a response to that? Like if you think of, of you being uh, yeah. the person on the other side of that line, there is no response. You know, someone, someone says that to you and it feels like they want to end the conversation with you. So um, I would say being present, giving the gift of your time, showing empathy, asking open-ended questions that kind of communicate that you're there to listen and you want to know more. So things like, hey, what do you, what do you think you can do to better care for yourself? Is there something that I can help with? Um, allowing, I mean, anxiousness often leads to... Um, to, to tear, people are often because they're they're afraid of something, right? And so when they when they think through things, it's it there's often a lot of tears. And so I think, you know, um, allow them to cry, hmm. be okay to sit in discomfort of tears or silence, um, and that actually communicates volumes to a person who's distressed because it builds trust um, and it deepens relationships when they know that they can trust their tears with you um, and that there is no judgment to how they're feeling. So, um, and then lastly, don't make it about yourself. So we often think we are creating connection by telling our own story. Um, and although this is true, I think the extent your story, the extent of your story also communicates your investment in their issue. So if someone is worried about losing a job and then you start, you know, talking for the next 15 to 20 minutes about your own job or your husband's job or, you know, what happens? Um, that person usually withdraws, stops talking, and they start to look distant. Um, so it comes back to that idea of like, listen first. And then if you want to build connection and kind of bring comfort through commonality, um, keep it short, make it validating. Um, say something, you know, like along the lines of, hey, I too have been feeling similarly about my job. Real short and sweet, but validating to what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could go on, but I, I reckon you guys get the gist of, you know, the best way to help someone feel who's feeling anxious is, yeah, validate their emotions, know your role in their lives. So like, are you friend, sister, mother, daughter, you know, husband, um, and speak into it accordingly. Um, but I think just remember that you're not their counselor. So your job is not to give advice or fix it, but simply, and similarly, the way we're kind of encouraging them to bear witness to their own emotion, you're just another person bearing witness to their emotion. 
um, and letting them know that you're right next to them and letting them know that there's no judgment. And within that, which fits, I think, within your own boundaries, um, give the gift of your time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think from what I hear you saying, Rhea, we experience anxiety because we're human and obviously that's one thing, but as followers of Jesus, there's an underlying belief, you know, that we're also created in the image of God, that we are invited into life-giving relationship with Jesus. I wonder if you could just uh, maybe just provide us with a little bit of um, insight into, into what this all looks like as we do it in relationship with with our Lord and Saviour. <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a big question. I think... I think for me, it's probably um, it's probably the safety and the peace that is a that is a gift that we can access anytime by getting into the presence of the Lord. And and knowing that. I think um, allows you to deal with feelings of anxiety different. So, you know, you could do that name entertainment and you could do the um, breathing, right. But you also could just get on your knees and get into the presence of God and, and feel that, feel the Holy spirit right beside you. Um, And, oh man, I think we all can attest to um, feeling anxious about something and doing that, and feeling a safety and a peace that is beyond understanding. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't think there's any way better to do it than with Jesus by your side. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit last week, Ray, about that depiction of Jesus as the good shepherd. And, you know, that idea that we read in, in Psalm 23, that he leads me beside mm. quiet waters. He restores my mm. soul. That idea that he, he knows my voice and I'm meant to know his. Um, and how so much of that speaks into the human experience of things like worry and anxiety, you know, that he's not just concerned about your sin, but he's also concerned about your mental health and your rest and your breathing. I mean, like, right, like the the reasons that I love that psalm and I love that psalm, like when I think of the Good Shepherd, and I think of all the verses that kind of come to my mind of like the kind of I am statements. And, um, but that's, that's the Psalm 23 is probably one of my favorites. A, because mm. David writes it, right? And he mm. was a shepherd. <laughs> and so it feels, it feels so personal to me. And in, in a weird way, that brings me comfort. Um, even because he starts with the Lord is my shepherd. Mm. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's, it's like he's, he's had experience with Jesus in that role before. Um, when he says that, I love also that he's, that Jesus allows himself to be in that or to like align himself with the idea of being a shepherd, because my guess is, it's probably a, was very low on the totem pole of (laughs) jobs, right? Back then. So like, when I think of that, I'm like, ah, like it's it's that humbling but it's also like a taking care of an animal that probably cost a lot. 
So when I do a lot of like, like comparisons like that, and, and you know, my word, my mind works weirdly when I, when I read scripture, but um, I always think like, man, it's such a precious commodity. Like you're calling me a precious commodity hmm. by, by calling me um, your sheep. And I like thing with shepherds and sheep is that like your shepherd is everything to the, to that, to the sheep. Like they're the ones mm. who feed you and guide you and protect you and, and heal you if you're sick. Like they're everything. Mm. Um, and then when he says like, I shall not want. And that's what I was saying in the beginning. It's like when you get into the presence of the Lord, you shall not want because you are provided with everything in that. Mm. Um, yeah. And then when it goes on to say, you know, leads us to rest and refreshes our soul. Uh, I mean, if that doesn't portray Jesus as an advocate for prioritizing your mental health, I don't know what does, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but in seriousness, like rest is such a part of restoration. Like rest is such a part of restoration and restoration only happens in relationship. Mm. Um, And I think as the good shepherd, that's what Jesus leads us to do. Wow. I feel very um Zen's not the word, but I feel something right now. Thank you <laughs> for that little encouragement. Rhea, would you mind just praying for praying for the people out there who would be listening to this? Um obviously like a, a bunch of us are, might be feeling good, but a bunch of us are probably feeling all the things we've been talking talking about and more. So if you, if, if you wouldn't mind. I just want to give a little encouragement before I pray. Um, And I'm really feeling a sense to do this um, now, but I want to say to someone, Hey, what you are feeling is normal. What you are feeling is normal. So be, be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. um, And out of that patience and kindness will flow that to those around you. And be more open to investing more into the people that you love and into your friendships now more than ever. (laughs) Um, Because it's that idea that restoration absolutely requires relationship. Um, We're all living the same reality, you guys. You know, like there is a real comfort in that commonality. um, If you allow yourself to feel like you're a part of something bigger. So you're not alone. Like you are part of your family. You're part of your friendship circle. You're part of this church community. Um, you are a part of us. And that in itself makes everything better. So yeah, let me pray for you. Um, and pray for all of us really during this time. Father, I thank you that in your presence, we want for nothing more. I thank you that in you, we are made enough. And you have proven time and time again that you lead, protect, and care deeply for us. I pray that during this time, Love will rise up in each and every one of us and through us that we may be people who participate in this upside down kingdom we find ourselves in and we partner with you, Jesus, in setting things right. 
May we find ourselves in the story of redemption, rebuilding, and revival that you are writing. Living each day with open hands and open hearts. I pray that each one listening today rests in the safety and peace you provide. A protection that guards us from worse than we are currently experiencing and a peace that is beyond understanding. And with that assurance, Father, may we walk each other boldly into a place of restoration with you by our side, our good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We hope today's podcast has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to find out more or reach out to Rhea, you can find her at thelifeconsultant.co. And if you're experiencing anxiety at the moment or would just like to reach out and chat to someone, we'd love to get in touch with you. Please visit riverviewchurch.com slash care. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com.au. And as always, we invite you to subscribe, to rate and review. And of course, to share this podcast with someone who might need it. And we're on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm told we're on TikTok yes, as well. that's right. Our handle on all of those is at Riverview Online. And you're also welcome to join us for our weekly Sunday live stream. We go live at 10 a.m. Western Australian time, and that is on Facebook and YouTube. If you can't make it at 10 a.m., the stream will be available for 24 hours afterwards. Our music today is by Andrew Warong. And until next time, keep having conversations.